This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of Arts Us and Senior Partner at Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I have during this podcast are solely my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Don Eubanks, recently retired social work faculty from Metropolitan State University and cultural consultant and currently an associate of Dendro's group. Lee Lee couldn't be with us today as she's wearing many different hats. Um, but we today are continuing our series connecting with legislators of color um, and the unique perspective that they provide, particularly here in the state of Minnesota. So we have with us today Representative Carlos Mariani. If you could introduce yourself to our audience. Hey, thanks, uh, young brother. I appreciate the uh, invitation um, uh, to my sister, Luce, and my brother, Don, uh, as well. My name is Carlos Mariani Rosa. I, uh, I wear two uh, big hats, I guess, in Minnesota. I'm a state representative uh, from St. Paul, um, and we want to talk about that for sure. I'm also the executive director of the Minnesota Education Equity Partnership. I'm really looking forward to this talk. So, as you know, we've been checking in with various um, legislators of color um, in a series. And so we're really excited to check in with you. And, and the first question I have out the gate, I just want to want to say full disclosure, I went to high school with your daughter, Representative Mariani. Um, and I think between there's a group of about five of us who used to teach salsa classes um, as a way to get out of Spanish, I mean, um, get our Spanish credit um, at school. <laughs> and so and so we go back quite a bit of ways and, and, and I've been a mentor of yours in the Educational Equity Partnership um, and our ment- mentee of yours, just, just looking up to you. And when I was working in education before I went the consultant and clergy route, um, but <clears throat> very rarely did I get to interact with legislators of color. And, and I'll just say personally for me, I didn't know that there were registrators of color until I met you and got to see in your experience. I didn't even know that that was a thing that we did. So um, I'm curious what that has been like for you, um, not only representing the state and bringing those, those, the issues of various communities to uh, the legislature, but what has it been like being a person of color at the legislature for, and, and, the, and as we were talking before this, you're a senior <laughs> legislator in, in a state legislature. So what's that been like? Short words, uh, uh, challenging uh, and breathtaking. Uh, you know, we were talking just before we started here. I, I, I served, off, served in office for, um, for many, many years. I was first elected in the uh, 90 election. Um, so I ran with, uh, with uh, brother um, uh, Paul Wellstone, uh, Miss uh, Madley. Um, my first session was 1991. Uh, at that time, uh, I'm thinking there were maybe four of us, maybe five uh, in the entire legislature uh, of 200. And oh, I used to know this right off the top of my head, 201 uh, legislators. Um, and for many, many years, I was the only Latino uh, legislator uh, in the state, probably for a solid decade. Uh, there are now a couple of dozen of us between both houses, um, um, more in the, in the house where I serve, um, and way more diverse. I mean, we got Somali, uh, brothers and sisters, Hmong, uh, our brothers and sisters, uh, indigenous folks, uh, uh, African American, Latinos, um, and, um, so it, it, it challenging uh, in the very early days uh, where uh, it certainly felt like a pretty alienating uh, space where, you know, much of what my experiences uh, were you know, pretty foreign uh, to most of the legislators at that time, pretty heavily white male, heavily male, much more equitable now in that regard, heavily uh, rural, um, isolated, um, you know, greater Minnesota is much more diverse now than then. And uh, increasingly became breathtaking um, in that as uh, one, you know, I, I uh, learned to operate uh, fairly well in the system. And two, as more um, 
people of color, indigenous uh, people became members of the legislature, elected to it. It just opened up all sorts of uh, terrific opportunities that we are now in the midst of in terms of, I believe, um, transforming both the culture um, and the processes uh, of the people's legislature. And so a quick example of that is that under uh, my sister Rena Moran's uh, leadership as the chair of the Powerful Ways and Means Committee, it's probably the most important committee in the entire legislature. Um, she has laid down the expectation that every bill that comes through that committee, which is going to be all the money bills, uh, has a race equity um, um, uh, purpose and explanation. Um, and that has to be uh, a goal of all those bills as well as shared uh, publicly. Uh, that's a sh- nothing short of breathtaking compared to the body mm-hmm. that I first stepped into uh, many, many years ago, which, by the way, uh, my sister Luz Maria Frias was there at that time. Um, I think Luz might have been in junior high or something at that time. Was that right? <laughs> I was. I, I just was coming out of junior high and I said, uh, let me go take a stint at the House of Representatives. <laughs> um, no, all kidding aside, uh, I was actually, I helped on your campaign because um, I had been working already at the Minnesota House of Representatives as a policy, um, in a policy role, I should say. and. Uh, we elected you as the first uh, Latino in the House of Representatives. Uh, at that point, there was a no. I'm sorry, I'm wrong on that. Yeah, we had somebody. Yeah, we had one individual prior to me. Uh, wonderful man, Mexican American, uh, Frank Rodriguez. He, That's right. He was the pathfinder to open up the doors for me. That's right. Thank you for refreshing my mind on that. Yes. Um, and we worked closely, uh, you and I, when I was there as staff, and we actually launched a radio segment back in the day in Spanish, where we would explain all the legislative uh, progress and, and bills that were in front of the, uh, the legislature in an effort to really broaden people's understanding, much like what we're doing with this uh, role here and the series that we are engaging in with legislator legislators from the BIPOC communities who can really help empower our communities with knowledge and and being able then to take a role right and understand the connection between voting and getting out to vote and and empowering the community to be active and the correlation between that and having elected leaders like yourself who have been there for so long and have really made some incredible gains I mean, one of the really impressive parts here is that you were elected in 1990 and the way the legislature works with assignments, typically speaking and historically speaking, um, some of the most powerful committees then are given to those with the longest um, serving terms there, right? Not always, but typically. And, and we know that there was, there's been some disruption this time around with Representative Hortman uh, to the better, I should say. And, and you're currently chair of the public safety and criminal justice reform. Uh, you're hmm. also a member of the finance and policy committee, as well as the Wayne's and means. But I wanted to help our audience understand how important that is, um, that you are a chair of that committee, public safety and criminal justice reform. And I want to also have our audience understand not only are you a veteran member with regard to BIPOC legislators, but just overall between the two chambers, you were elected in 1990, 31 years ago, and that's incredibly powerful and unique. So can you speak to those aspects? Yeah, I mean, there's the natural uh, power, if you will, that comes from uh, doing something um, for you know a long period of time. It's one of the reasons why our communities respect uh, elders the way that we do, because that's where uh, wisdom um, lies. Uh, that's um, helpful uh, to everyone, and and that comes from you know deep experiences. And and by the way, those experiences could easily 
the uh, experiences where you're just getting your butt kicked uh, as opposed to uh, winning. And that's certainly a, an element uh, of legislating. It's hard. Passing a law is very difficult to do. Uh, and in some in some respects should be. Um, and um, so it, it's a pretty, um, you know, it's a pretty tough environment uh, that uh, teaches has the opportunity to teach us many, uh, many important things. Um, I forget what number I am in the house. I think I'm maybe number four in seniority uh, in the house. I think there's only two senators that have more seniority uh, than I do. Um, and so with that comes, you know, some recognition and, and respect, if you will. Um, it certainly does open up the opportunity for uh, being appointed to uh, some of the most um, important committees. Uh, the committee that I currently chair uh, controls, if you will, appropriates uh, through its omnibus bill when you add in the Judiciary Committee, which, by the way, is led by an indigenous woman, uh, uh, Representative Jamie Becker Finn. Um, when you add corrections, judiciary, and public safety, it's north of $2.5 billion of, of the state's uh, budget. Uh, so it's pretty significant. It's a scope is, 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 uh, is pretty broad. Um, one way to think about, um, those committee assignments and leadership, uh, in them is that the legislative process, um, is, uh, you know, kind of follows a linear path where at the very beginning of session, whether it's in January or February, it's all about introducing new ideas and bills. Uh, and then setting those up to be heard. They get channeled to committees where, you know, folks like me decide whether a bill is going to be heard, when, who comes and speaks, um, you know, how do we shape it and act on it, et cetera. The bill will continue to move if it moves through a process. I'm not going to go through the whole process, uh, uh, but just to make this point, um, as legislation moves through a legislative session, uh, what starts out as everyone is, you know, shaping and uh, directing becomes more and more uh, smaller numbers of peoples are, are shaping uh, and directing, which makes sense, right? You know, um, you got to get to agreement. Um, there's hundreds, sometimes thousands of bills are introduced. Um, and so folks in seniority like me then get charged with uh, shaping and directing those bills into typically big omnibus bills. Um, those are assigned to committees that number no more than five people, which I then lead, uh, that meet up with five senators. So now you got 10 people making those decisions. Um, and as we move deeper into the end of the session, it really does come down to three individuals uh, making the, the final decisions uh, obviously, others are still weighing in and voting, but in terms of all the timing and big decisions, it's the governor, the head of the Senate, and the head of the House. Uh, I'm not one of those, but I would be, um, you know, right at the next level uh, of, of decision making. So having uh, people of color, indigenous people in the kind of positions that I occupy um, allows our communities to have longer, deeper uh, representation um, and our perspectives get to carry themselves out uh, pretty close to the end of, of the key uh, decisions. Uh, that was not always the case, believe me. Uh, there were a few of us to begin with, and by the time I got to those you know, big boys and girls, and back then it was really boys, um, you know, our communities were, were just absent uh, from those conversations. So one thing to look out for then as our, we elect more people of color, indigenous people, legislature, and as more of us gain seniority, there's much more impact, um, in legislation in the state of Minnesota directed by those communities. You know, so one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm curious about is, is I've always gotten to see you, um, uh, my interactions with you throughout my my life has been presenting some of the um, the important issues um, in that the, the in community um, at the legislative level and how to help being to break those down. So, what are some of the uh, um, bills that you have authored that you are are that you think that should be front and center on our community space and and has been most proud for you to to be a part of authoring? 
Yeah, well, over over my the course of my many years there, uh, there are several that jump out right away. Uh, one was um, or is uh, two versions of the Dream Act. Um, the last version uh, was called the Prosperity Act. Um, uh, these are bills that open up real opportunities for our undocumented students in our state, our K twelve students, uh, to be able to pursue post secondary. Uh, opportunities. And one of the things that Minnesota does uh, that only a handful of other states do, I want to say five, uh, with us included, is that we not only provide that opportunity, and by the way, there are states that actually deny that opportunity, um, hmm. but we not only provide that opportunity, we provide financial aid uh, to make that access uh real. And I always like to say at the spiritual level, um, you know, ask yourself the question, who do you invest in? Uh, you invest in your son, you invest in your daughter, you invest in your grandchildren. That's who, who you invest in typically, right? Um, and so the state of Minnesota is investing in its children. It's investing in its, its young people. And these are undocumented folks whose message from, you know, unfortunately, from our political and, and much of our cultural landscape is you don't belong here. You're not ours. You know, go away. We're going to we're going to get you and kick you out. The state of Minnesota is saying you are ours. Uh, you're so much ours. We're going to invest in you just like we invest in our white uh, sons, just as we invest in our our, um, um, you know, uh, immigrant uh, daughters who have status, you know, et cetera. So particularly proud of that bill. Uh, the LEAPS Act uh, is a bill that really modernized uh, what, what we really were uh, nation leading uh, with this bill. It modernized our whole approach to how public education um, delivers education to students whose first language is not English. Uh, the dominant way in which it had been done was to consider their home native language, Hmong, Korean, Spanish, um, you know, uh, whatever, as a liability. Um, this uh, law um, flips that and says that the home native language is an asset. And it is important for us to work from that asset uh, to in order to cultivate uh, academic achievement, including um, English uh, academic uh, achievement. Um, and then uh, most recently, um, well, uh, within the last year, uh, the um, uh, Minnesota uh, Police Accountability Act, uh, which was hard fought the last summer after the murder of George Floyd. Uh, we went through uh, several special sessions in the middle of COVID uh, to pass the beginnings, just the beginnings, of a police accountability framework in the state of Minnesota because uh, we have a heck of a long way to go uh, uh, with that. Those are three that I'm really particularly uh, you know, proud of over my many years. Um, this year, as chair of the Public Safety Corrections Committee, uh, the Omnibus uh, Public Safety Act um, uh, was a big bill, and I'll, I'll stop the pause here, but uh, I, I can uh, say more about that in terms of the particular uh, elements uh, of that. Uh, and then there were several other bills, too, but I, I'm going to stop just because I'm going a long time and, and uh, <laughs> let you, you know, uh, uh, let me get a breather here. <laughs> well, the, that police accountability one um, really stood out for me, you know, and, and I know it's personal to you, too. You know, um, I mentioned earlier having gone um, to high school with your, with your daughter, um, and both of us were classmates of Philando Castile. In fact, um, I, there's a picture of all of us at Sadie Hawkins Dance, you know, together. And so I know that that um, hit close to home for you, being a parent, a, a central parent. Um, and so I, I thank you for, for, for bringing that forward. And, and referring to it as just a start, because the follow-up question was going to be when you said, when you brought it in there and said, oh, wait, you know, we didn't go as far as I remember you saying you wanted to, to, to get to in that, but, but you, you know, you had, you, you had clarified that. Um, Don, you were asking earlier um, uh, about, about, about a few things. I wanted to give a chance to bring that question forward again. Oh, hell, I forgot what that was, man. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, um, I'm I uh, Representative uh, Mariani. I'm still 
stuck on the fact that you mentioned that uh, that Moran is is uh, chair of the Ways and Means Committee, and that every bill that comes through that committee has to uh, pass the racial equity test. And I'm stuck on that because I don't know if people realize how huge that is. You know, the last time our paths crossed professionally is when I was director of the chemical health division for DHS. And, and uh, you, were in the, you were in the house. And sometimes some of us find ourselves in professional settings like I did at DHS where we fought, we fight, and we feel like we're fighting in a vacuum, much how you described your experience like the first 10 or 15, 20 years that you were in the house. It feels like it's a lonely battle when you're the only one at the table trying to bring that lens, trying to bring that understanding in, because after you guys pass the bills, it gets passed to us. We then have to interpret and create policy around that and trying to get my colleagues to, to, to think about that racial equity lens at a time when that's not a popular thing to do. I don't think it, it was ever popular. But so for me, I I was absolutely amazed that that's happening. And um and I'm hoping that the Ways and Means Committee isn't the only one where that kind of litmus test is happening. I think with more and more uh, representatives of color from all our various communities can help bring that about. But to me, that was huge. I, I'm still trying to digest what that really means. You know what I mean? And so, um, but, you know, and then just as another, you know, as everyone else, a slight disclaimer, you know, you and I go back to to when we were teens and uh, <laughs> when we first met when we were uh both of us, you know, young men at uh, at McAllister College, yep. and uh, so it's 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 been a while. You know, we all have connections, and I have absolutely uh, just marveled at your your um, your fortitude to be able to do what you've done in the house for the past thirty one years is absolutely incredible, Carlos. I mean, um, you know, you you've been an inspiration for many of us. We're colleagues. We're from the same generation. And um, but to see the work that you've put in while some of us have been on the outside trying to put that same type of work in. And uh, so, like I said, to, to hear that that's currently happening, because I think that speaks to the importance of how our votes do count. And, you know, in terms of who we elect to represent us and. um because we've had a few individuals come in and uh, next week uh, you mentioned uh, representative uh, Jamie Baker Finn uh, chairs the which committee is it that she chairs judiciary well and she'll be joining us next week on counter stories then I so I mean you know but I know that you also have done a lot in education so I was wondering if you might, Talk about a bill or two that you uh, have been in, have been involved with in terms of education. Okay, yeah, well, uh, several things there, brother Don. What uh, one is that uh, I do think that um, what's happening relative to your your observation about uh, uh, Representative Moran and ways and means and race equity. Uh, uh, you know, purpose and filters that she's expecting. Uh, and I remember she called me like late at night, we, you know, beginning of the session. And she's like, she's like, Brother Carlos, I want to ask you something. I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? You know, and I said, man, that is revolutionary. You know, go for it. Yeah, I got your back. And you know what? People, people get it. 
people will get it. And, and, and they have, um, you know, uh, and, and even in bipartisan ways. It, it doesn't mean that there hasn't been resistance to it. Uh, we have one colleague, uh, I won't mention but names, who at once, you know, said something like, you know, I'm kind of tired of all this race stuff. Can we just like have a normal conversation and not just be talking about race? <laughs> it's like, well, here's the point, you know, that, the work that you were doing, uh, Don, you know, at the department, the work that many of us, you know, were uh, trying to do through legislation in the early years, all always got categorized as like special work, you know, like the work you do at the margins, you know, like, um, you know, special projects, you know, um, it, it didn't speak to like, you know, domain work, you know. Well, that's the shift. Um, and what Rena did um, is was to formally validate uh, the the important shift of moving from, uh, you know, uh, thinking of, of these issues in our communities as like special interest issues and special interest communities to being central, our realities and the realities of racism um, being central to how government operates, what it does, and what it needs to do. Uh, that's a huge, fundamentally simple, but huge, huge shift. You know, I, I tell people, listen, if, if, if as chair of public safety corrections committee, um, if I'm not talking about race and racism, I'm not talking about public safety and corrections. I'm, I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but, but I'm not talking about that. And that's $2.5 billion of our state budget. That's thousands of people um, that work for it, um, tens of thousands in any given year who are impacted uh, by it. We have over a million people on probation, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, the percentage of those people who are people of color, indigenous pe people, heavily disproportionate uh, uh, representation. So race and racism, you know, um, it, it is a reality. It matters. Uh, and we're shifting it into the center of, of, of public policy. Um, so now I got so excited, I forgot your question, but I think it had to do with education. Is that what it, is that what it was? Yeah, but, but, but this, is a, this is a really important point because I'm, I'm struck by the fact that you're, you're able to have that conversation. It was new to me too. It, it, it floored me. And now I've got so many, you know, wonderings. I'm just like, wow. But especially as, you know, what, what, what I would classify as much less complicated, smaller, you know, um, small P power uh, brokers and, and organizations that are, that are working are struggling to put that in place and institutionalize that. And here we have at the Minnesota state legislature, you know, legislators of color who have made that, that, that happen. I think that's important. It's an important distinction, especially organizations who are wondering, you know, can we do this? Well, our own state legislature has a race equity requirement in the omnibus bill committee um, and other committees. It sounds like both that committee and your committee and, 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 and our other committees uh, also operating with that because such a powerful committee has, has implemented it. Uh, 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 Representative Moran really set the pace and, um, you know, uh, if, if your finance bill, which all the omnibus, you know, you know I mean, mm -hmm. K twelve education, you yeah. know, agriculture, um, uh, environment, you know, I mean, we're talking uh, billions of dollars. All of them need to go through ways and means, and in order to get through ways and means, once they get there, they have to answer this question. They have to point to their bill and say, look, in this 300-page document, this is where we address race equity. I got to tell you, man, it, it's like beautiful uh, when I sat there. I also serve on the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, listening to um, uh, the agriculture chair, um, um, Representative Sandin, uh, older white brother from up north, um, just, you know, almost kind of like matter of fact, you know, like, hey, you know, I work with Representative Vangs on my committee, you know, and here's how we're addressing race equity in agriculture, 
um, and laying down in a competent way, not just like, you know, but I mean, like he knows his stuff, he owns it, he's defending it, he's advancing it, and he's a white guy from greater Minnesota, you know? So we're shifting the culture, we're shifting the psychology, we're sh- shifting the priorities and the expectation. Now, you know, it's a rocky road, you know. I'm not saying, you know, none of this stuff is going smooth, you know. Uh, there's opposition to many of those proposals. Oh, my God, the legislators of color, indigenous legislator, you know, we have a posse caucus. You know, we, we were working for, for um, since last year after the uprising, you know, to get state investment to help rebuild those communities that were devastated, uh, you know, Lake Street, for instance, parts of St. Paul that were devastated uh, by um, the fires, the looting uh, that accompanied uh, what, for the most part, was just, you know, peaceful First Amendment right expectations of a people who said enough is enough, you know, with police killing, you know, uh, black men. Uh, but then we had all sorts of other people who showed up and did some damage. And they we could not convince the legislature a majority of our colleagues to make those investments to help rebuild those bond pa, you know, uh, shops, black owned shops, immigrant shops, you know, on, on, on Lake Street. It took the governor, you know, to make, um, you know, discretionary investment to do some of that. Um, so even with these expectations or these, um, uh, requirements, uh, it's still an uphill battle, you know, because in the end, it's one thing to get through ways and means. You got to pass stuff off the floor of the House and you got to get it through the, the floor of the Senate. Uh, this year, by the way, we were successful uh, with a good chunk of those particular investments. So all that by way of saying that, um, in my opinion, you're right. Um, this is a uh, like a historical moment in many ways. Uh, and simultaneously, um, you still got to fight. The battle is still real. You know, every day you got to get, you got to get out there and you got to, um, um, re-engage and re-win those b- battles. And then the final thing I'll say is that, yeah, it's great that you got Representative Moran, you know, uh, Representative Mariani, Representative Bain, you know, um, uh, Hollins, et cetera. Um, but we can't do this by ourselves. I mean, this only happens if we're working in tandem with our communities and our communities are fully engaged in shaping those proposals and pushing for those uh, proposals, leveraging out in the public how they think about this, you know, impacting the public narrative, you know, shifting mindsets uh, so that we normalize in our broader culture, not just in the legislature, you know, doing uh, 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 the work that's racially equitable. Representative Mariani, I'm so glad you made that last statement. Uh, what I started thinking about as you started talking about the race equity lens that Representative Moran uh, spearheaded, I thought about the Government Alliance on Race and Equity led by Julie Nelson from Seattle 10 years ago. And she was going around the country, including here in St. Paul and in Minneapolis, encouraging legislators to begin to have this race equity lens. And and now we're seeing the fruition of that, right? Uh, But we shouldn't stop there because we have policy leaders at the county level. So we've got county commissioners. We have city council members uh, who are also there. And if we begin to set these expectations clearly for all of our elected leaders, as rightly it should be, then we create the movement and the momentum that we need. I want to go deeper into that last statement that you you indicated, you know, that this is not possible solely on your own, you need community. And I've always said, you know, it's an inside game and an outside game both that gets us to, to where we need to be. Help us understand some of the most powerful iterations of that that, that will inspire our listeners to get involved. Uh, okay. Uh, well, one that comes to mind immediately, um, is, well, 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 you know, back on the investment in those businesses, um, it was those small business, uh, groups, uh, from the Asian, Latino, African American, Somali, um, uh, indigenous communities, uh, those, those groups exist. They, they may be, you know, a Lake Street business group or maybe a statewide American Indian group. 
uh, you know, clues, you know, and, and St. Paul was, was important, LEDC in the Latino uh, community, um, et cetera. Uh, they uh, worked intersectionally. Um, they worked with each other uh, to be able to um, lay out the technical ways in which the state can uh, make that kind of investment. So they did a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of uh, here's how you would structure that kind of reinvestment on the part of the state. Uh, you know, there there might be some of us in the legislature who are business folks or economists. I'm not one of them, you know, so I don't know how to do that work, you know, but we have plenty of talent in our community that does. And um, so they banded together uh, to create uh, with detail how the state would do that. And then they worked, um, they worked the public. Uh, they worked uh, all the legislatures, the legislators, the governor, uh, et cetera. Uh, another example, most recently, I'm pretty proud of this because it's in the public safety uh, realm, which, you know, uh, is where I reside heavily nowadays, uh, was the work that the uh, Council on Minnesotans with African, of African Heritage played to drive two important proposals inside the executive branch uh, in the post board. The post board is the state oh, yeah. uh, police licensing uh, body, uh, a body that we've been working to reform and remake uh, because we think there's incredible power uh, that exists there that can be used um, to drive police accountability. Uh, in our state, we don't have to remake every tool. We have to claim the tools that have been allowed uh, to languish uh, or have been captured, um, you know, in order to not do things. Uh, well, the council uh, drove two proposals uh, through the citizen review um, uh, committee that we created in last year's bill. Uh, one was to ban um, the ability of anyone to get a, 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 a police license in this state uh, if associated with white supremacist groups. Uh, believe it or not, that was really difficult to pass wow. legislatively. Uh, the Senate never passed it. They resisted it. Uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle voted against it. Uh, Mind-blowing. Uh, and so we knew that the chances of passing legis that through statute but was probably not going to happen this year, but it could still happen through administrative action in our licensing board. And the council then carried that fight into um, into that body and have since been joined uh, by the Latino Council, uh, Asian Council, our indigenous uh, brothers and sisters. They also carried a proposal to protect the First Amendment rights uh, um, in a large um uh, police responses to uh, civil civil unrest uh, or, or you know civil gatherings. Um, so you know, pretty sophisticated work uh, being carried out by our councils of color, uh, joined by groups like the NAACP, uh, even um, um, you know more street based groups um, um, like Mother's Love. Um, you know, I mean, just th this collection of community working the system, uh, working legislatively, like we, like we saw with the economic investment, but also working administratively as we see with the police, um, you know, police board. Um, those two provisions, by the way, are not finalized yet, but they are well underway, uh, to being, uh, to being finalized in the state of Minnesota. So much energy gets generated from this because there's hope that's being created. Uh, hope, you all know, hope doesn't just exist. Hope comes from action. You know, it's acting that creates hope. Um, and so with, with the numbers of legislators of color, indigenous legislators, with the new frames that are happening, um, with the energy that's coming from communities, there's increased action, which means also increased hope and increased uh, creativity and, and, um, and engagement uh, that we're all going to need in order to combat injustice and in the end in the racism in our state. This, this has been um, a, a very important intersection, even in the work, um, you know, as I think about this, and I'm, and I'm speaking to this from from a, a ministerial lens as a, as, 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 as a minister in a, in a church context, 
Um, and that is oftentimes as we get into ecumenical spaces where, in my case, predominantly black congregations begin to connect across with white white peers and other denominations, we run into this issue of folks saying, why are you being so political as we talk about everyday life? And I think what you just did is, is captured that, you know, the fact that there's a fight at the legislature, um, you know, around the issue of, 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 Stopping and I and I understand the 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 legislative or the or the legality piece of it, right? Um, you know, technically, I have the right to be, <laughs> I have a right to to be in a hateful terrorist organization um, that is the Ku Klux Klan, regardless of how folks want to treat it in in what we can teach or can't teach our children across the nation. I get that. Okay, that that is protected. It's one of the 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 things that we have to be careful of because if we try to plus mess with that, we can mess with us too. I get that. But I also should have the have the right to say that um, if you carry those presidential views, um, that that should be something that disqualifies you to be a neutral party um, in something as sacred as as peacekeeping um, in, in within law enforcement. The, to, 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 to even wonder that, or, to, or to know that that itself is a fight at a legislative level um, to me is not only disheartening to hear as a person of color, the fact that the fight happens, right? Um, but but also too, that we're in a space of having to defend that. And so we go right back into a space of our very existence being a political one. And so if we, you know, we're, we're, we're tussled in this space back and forth of, of saying that these spaces are for non-political spaces, but you make my very existence and ability to, to, to have folks who who have who 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 won't harm me on a matter of principle of their own mental models and belief system, um, I can't get protection from that. That means that my very existence in life is political, and and I'm just um, it, it's it's striking to me that that would be a fight amidst all of the different fights. And so I I under, absolutely understand that there's there's huge energy around the post board um, conversations, especially given our, our recent time. I'm curious. As you, because, 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 in your response to that to 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 that query, you also made mention of coalition, um, and I was not aware of that level of coalition building that was working together in those particular fights. I mean, there's something that removes um, at the with, at the legislative work that's happening. There's something in the everyday life that seems so removed that all of this is a surprise, and yet this has been the fight that you've been having, <laughs> you know, in in, an, in a public way, in uh, in in and that's that's an interesting dichotomy to, to to come up. It's something that comes up often for us here um, at Counter Stories. And so, you know, I'm 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 curious for all of you um, as folks of color who have been in positions of pushing forward legislation, pushing forward rule changes, pushing forward issues that need to be addressed. Um, you know, the the constant battle for things that are supposed to be inalienable, and and yet we still have to fight for it for the very existence of it. That exacts a toll. I can't imagine that you have been a legislator since 1991 in the state of Minnesota, only the second uh, Latino person to, um, uh, to, 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 to do that, right? And one of the most senior. Representative Moran is the first African-American woman from St. Paul to be um, in the legislature and has such a powerful, powerful role. I mean, these are huge. And yet I can't imagine it doesn't exact some kind of toll. I'm, I'm just curious how you stay as smooth <laughs> as I've seen you be in many different situations, given watching all of this develop over the course of these years. I mean, that, that, I'm just really curious about that. And not just for you, but for Don and Luz as well, who have been in the, in, in, in the trenches of these different fights from various perspectives. What are some of the ways that y'all keep it together uh, with all of the fights on so many levels, I'm just—it's—it's uh, it's just I'm just curious for all of you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. You know, and, and uh, Don and Luz, you know, you just heard the young brother call him smooth, man. I take, I take that. <laughs> you know, you know, there's that 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 story, you know, about the the ducks, right? You know, like you see ducks on the water and they're like elegantly mm-hmm. floating and quietly and gracefully. You know, but if, if but if you dip your head underneath the water, you see those little 
those little, you know, <laughs> flappers just like, you know, uh, going like crazy, you know, just to, to move them around. I think there's, it's sort of like that, you know, for me anyway. And I, I will say that there is a price. Uh, there, there, there's a price. There is. Um, I, I get tired. Um, I get dismayed. Um, you know, it took us 11 years to pass the Dream Act. 11 years. And I have to say, you know, I'm human and I, you know, so I, I want to admit my humanness because uh, this ain't about us being perfect and being superheroes, you know, none of that stuff. You know, uh, that's, you know, that's mostly nonsense. You know, we're humans. And um, after after several attempts, I basically gave up. You know, and I had the young students because, you know, it was a big student, you know, led movement. I was just so dismayed, you know, and I was tired of getting beat up, you know, and uh, and I was losing all sorts of other things, you know, and oh, man. And uh, the students came in, you know, this many years ago now that students came in and, you know, hey, you know, a diputado, representative, you know, and I'm like, you know, my brothers and sisters, I, you know, I, I, unless unless we change who's here, this just ain't going to happen. I'm telling you, you know? And um, I mean, I think back down, I'm horrified at what the, I told those young people, but it just showed you how dispirited and tired I had become. And um, those young people, uh, this is the truth, man, you know, they would not leave my office uh, until I made a commitment to fight with them again. You know, and and they they did they did they said and did everything. You know, it's like you know we need you. You know, uh, we look up to you. You're our big brother. You know, I mean, what, I mean, you know, by the end it's like, okay, you know, yeah, you know, and I did it. And I still thought we were gonna get beat up, um, and we probably did that year. But you know what? Eventually we did win. And so for people like me and Rena and others. You know, uh, we have to be in relationship uh, with one another uh, in order to do this work. And that, like any relationship, there are times when you lead and there are times when you follow. And there are many times when you when you do both at the same time. And, and so, you know, my quick observation then about your observation is that um, the, the way that I have found to do this and keep my humanity uh, is to do it with others, uh, to do it collectively, to do it in community, uh, because it's community and others that feed me, um, that we feed one another. Um, you know, uh, any other way of doing that, you're setting yourself up, you know, and I don't want to be set up. Um, I don't want to be, you know, horribly beaten. Um, if I'm going to be beaten, you know, I'm going to be beaten uh, along with my brothers and sisters and we're going to find a way to get victory out of that. So um, working with um, collectively and in community, I think, is really the answer to the challenge that all of us are going to face uh, in terms of just how tired um, and tiring and dispiriting this work can be at any given point. You know, uh, Representative Mariani, I would uh, echo that 100 um, percent. There was a a time when I was director um, for uh, DHS, for the Chemical Health Division, and I came in under one administration, which was Ventura, but then this other administration came in, and which was Pelleni's administration. I wasn't necessarily, I did not share the same ideology or ideas or direction of that administration. Um, but, uh, and I knew it would be rocky, but they, I think in that process, it became personal. They made it personal because they kind of came after me personally. Um, and what happens is that, is that, um, you know, you lose that desire to stay in there and do the battle. It's like, you know, and so I would, I would connect with community and community would tell me, but Don, you are at the table. And as long as you're in that position, you're at the table. 
And so I remained as long as I did because I was at the table. And I was at the table for our various communities of color in the American Indian community. That's what kept me going. And um, until finally I was asked to do something and I refused. And you know, I was asked to move the consolidated fund to uh, manage care. And my experience with all the other state directors in the United States is every other state that had moved to managed care, we saw treatment stays go from 30 days down to 20, down to 15, down to five sometimes. And if you remember, at that time, we were dealing with that methamphetamine. Um, and so I uh, refused to move the fee-for-service to managed care and you know, the writing's on the wall, but it wasn't because I left. <laughs> so I can say that, but I, I, you know, my sentiments are with you exactly because I know how lonely, I know how we get browbeat. I know what it's like to sit in meetings with other state folks across the board from corrections to wherever. And I can sit there and speak from my expertise and be totally ignored and then have a, a white colleague say the exact same thing and then it's picked up and, and taken off. So we've all been, you know, we've, we've put those battles in, we all get those battle scars um, and it's lonely. It's lonely work. And I can't imagine being in that position for as long as you have been when there weren't that many, because I think one of the last things I would like to impress on our audience is how important it is for us to make sure we continue to elect representatives like you who look like us, who represent us, because these things won't change unless we keep electing you guys to these positions, because that's the only way change is going to happen. And, and so, I mean, it, it's nice to know because I think the other thing is, is you know, there are so many different levels involved in terms of when we have to make that kind of change. But for us on the ground level, it's to make sure we go and vote and we go and vote for the people who, who we want to represent us. I agree and, and want to hold up both of your responses. And what came immediately to mind is the African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, and that really grounds me, I know. And, and by looking at uh, your, your reactions, it, uh, all of you are, are nodding in agreement as well. Representative Mariani, and, and one more I would say that energizes me is mentoring other people, particularly mentees who are younger than I am, because their energy and their sense of bewilderment to me is energizing. Uh, so I, I really enjoy that. I, really, I, I've always said they give me more than what I'm giving them in return. But Representative Mariani, as a closing question, and I'd like to ask you, we know that historically, uh, and it holds true in today as well, it's been difficult to get members from our BIPOC communities to step forward and run for elected office. There's so much the doubt and insecurities that folks have that they're not good enough, they're not prepared enough. And can you help our listeners understand that it is more attainable than they believe it to be? Yeah, you know, I, I, I always, uh, a lot of us who serve, regardless of, you know, race, you know, um, at some point or another, we muse, you know, that, um that we wish everyone had an opportunity to do this work. Uh, but of course, not everyone can, right? Um, because it is so incredibly meaningful. Um, and yeah, it's tough and sometimes can be disheartening, but it's also, uh, it can also be incredibly rewarding. And, um, and the reward, um, I would argue, you know, especially for our people, um, doesn't come from um, applying the conventional, you know, knowledge, you know, that you've been certified, you know, uh, with by virtue of privilege or, 
or a degree or you know uh, you know professional status or whatever. Um, it, it comes from applying your experiences in this important space so that it has meaning for so many people. And so it really begins, I think, with, um, it took me a while, you know, to fully be cognizant of this. It really begins in many ways by appreciating yourself, uh, appreciating your experiences, knowing yourself, knowing those. Um, I don't know how you know that if you don't know who your ancestors are. And if you really don't know who your ancestors are, you are still part of a people um, and that people has a history, you know, root yourself there. Um, and yeah, it's great to have a law degree and, you know, whatever, you know, those are important skills. You know, absolutely. But they're not ultimately um, the most powerful things that people bring into this space. Your authentic experience and the journey that your people and your family have been on uh, is the most important thing that you bring to this space. You couple that with science and with analytics, absolutely, you know, inquiry, you know, engaging with one another, but it really starts with you. And I, I would say also that I, I'm really hopeful because I see growing critical mass in our state uh, with people of color, uh, indigenous people, um, uh, engaging in public policy, engaging in community work, uh, in changing and transforming systems. Um, there are great, if you're younger folks, there are great opportunities within our institutions to intern with folks like me, uh, to work uh, with folks like me. Um, there are tons of those opportunities growing out in the broader uh, community. Just the mere act of getting engaged uh, provides um should provide you with the um, sense of confidence and connectedness that makes um, serving in public office uh, a relevant and meaningful uh, and doable uh, thing. So, you know, last thing I would say is, you know, you're needed. Uh, <laughs> we need you, man. Um, uh, we need a diverse uh, public servant, um, including uh, elected uh, public servants uh, in our society, because our, that's what our society is. It's a multiracial society. Uh, it cannot be ruled by only one group of people, uh, and nor should it be. You are needed. There's a role here. Um, you know, reach out to folks like me, the folk, you know, the, these three, uh, these two brothers and the sister, um, because um, we're here to help you connect uh, and to work with you to, to uh, create synergy uh, to make change. So I just really want to be encouraging. Um, and, you know, um, don't, let any, don't let any of this stuff intimidate you. Um, um, it, it's just about you being authentic uh, and bringing your wisdom to important tables uh, where decisions are being made. And you're going to find more and more folks that look like you uh, in those places. Uh, so it's going to be an incredibly, increasingly rewarding uh, experience. Well, Representative Mariani, I really thank you for, for talking with us. We could, we could go on um, for a while, and I've learned so much just in talking here. Um, and something that you said stands out to me. You know, I, I, at the Center for the African Diaspora, we focus a lot on helping youth understand the principle of the idea of Sankofa. Right. Um, looking at who we were, who we are and who we want to be. And by getting to the crux of that, you know, and being grounded and rooted in your identity, um, you can go. It, 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 it carries so much and it does so much. And I, I love that you said, I don't know how you can how you can get down that path or do that work without knowing who your ancestors are. This this is essential. Um, and And I think, you know. You, we we have to demonstrate. I think you've demonstrated this both in the Minnesota Educational Equity Partnership, but also um, as a representative that we face our history, the good, the bad, the ugly, the awkward, you know, all of it. But by doing so, that's how we get better, not by dismissing it or pushing it against the side or assuming um, that there's a, a quote unquote 
normalcy for that that is really only normal for a particular group of folks and everybody else gets to try to figure out how to fit in or not. Um, but I think that's essential. And, 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 and that's going to stick with me quite a bit because what you're asking and what you share with us about rep, what Representative Moran has put forward, <laughs> you know, as a gauntlet dropped into the legislature, that you must you must account for the inequities that are connected to our history, our past, our present, and 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 how we are going to change it for the future. That's essentially what you're what, what's being asked, and having to 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 answer the question: How is race equity being addressed? Because the disparities, the predictability of the disparate outcomes in our state are glaring. The fact that we battle Mississippi and many of our 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 despair in much of our disparity data is huge. And so I really thank you for bringing that front and foremost in. And, and I look forward to continuing our series as we engage with representatives of color in the state of Minnesota, because I don't think it's a perspective that's being um, explored and the experiences of them, are, are, I don't think are being explored enough. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of Arts Us. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any opinions and comments are strictly my own and should not be imputed to my employer. I'm Don Eubanks, recently retired from Metropolitan State University, cultural consultant and associate of Dendros Group. Representative Carlos Mariani Rosa, been a privilege uh, to be part of this conversation. This is important work that's happening right here, right now. Thank you for the opportunity. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.